0: Now, let's move to our uh, paper review and uh, say good morning to our two uh, paper reviewers. Uh, Welcome, Larry Donnelly, Law Lecturer at NUI Galway. Good morning. morning. And uh, Terry Prone. Fantastic to have you here. I just, I I gather... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was quite an effort to
1: get here. You are now—you
0: are an iron woman. I'm sure. <laughs>
1: Today was the inaugural of Iron Man. It has to be abandoned. This city is just inaccessible, or has been for the last two hours. It's been a bloody nightmare, and I don't care what it does for men who want to fancy their biceps and other parts. <laughs>
0: You feel okay. You've taken a deep I breath. I, and
1: I have, have, and I, I apologise to everybody for being late. Well, you, this haven't you
0: see, you aren't late because you came in just in time. You yeah, were late. I
1: abandoned soon. my car outside and threw the, cars at the keys at somebody.
0: Well done. <laughs> Anyway, you're very welcome, both of you. Mm. Uh, can we begin with the Sunday Independent and Kenny targeting Grey vote with uh, five-year pension right? Hardly a surprise at this time in the cycle, Terry, is it?
1: Hardly a surprise in any political cycle because uh, if you look at Machiavelli, Machiavelli said that the first thing that a prince should do was issue all the Punishments and do all the damage and issue all the hurt that he was going to do and then save all the good things and hand them out at a much later date. It goes back that far. I do think that there has been a myth about older people that said, ah, sure, they're grand and they're rich. And there were ads, particularly bank ads, saying, sure, God, do you not want to go to Saint-Tropez for a bit? You could get some of the equity out of your house and all of that stuff. And, in fact, older people have been the savior of a generation, but it 's been tough, and I would figure that it would be very good news even a five or a week would make a difference
0: mm, mm. Uh, no 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 hint of cynicism about it ahead of an election
1: but that 's what politics is all about. To quote Pat (laughs) Rabbit. But it isn't cynicism to set out as this government did and indeed as Fianna were trying to do before they went out of, of government it isn't cynicism to try and rescue an economy from a situation where it is on its knees where people are emigrating you must remember the photographs of the queues going around an entire block for a couple of temporary jobs in a fast-food outlet Mm -hmm. and that isn't the case anymore people do get jobs here they immigration has now turned into a lifestyle choice again that's all great why the hell wouldn't older people admittedly they do vote which is a a, a cynical thought but nonetheless why shouldn't older people benefit from the upturn in the economy
0: Mm, I suppose I suppose you're right um but are we going to see now in the next five to six months? Uh, and by the way, I, something I would say, this, will, this is something, if it is done, that will be given out at the uh, the budget in uh, November, December. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a sense that eaten bread is, is soon forgotten by the electorate and by the time we get down the road to an election that well really it didn't matter anyway, people just took it and said thanks very much indeed and uh, off you go and it won't make a blind bit of difference
1: Well, there is a belief that people vote out of gratitude, I have never really seen it myself, I think your point is well taken that if the government goes to the last possible date and I'm going to go around to Paddy Powers at some stage and put down some money because I believe that they will try to go to the last Mm. possible date, that the interval between any great benefit and the election itself may be sufficiently large for gratitude to have worn off. On the other hand, not all of the things that the government will do, if they soften up a little bit, um, will have come into play until possibly just before the election. So there is a timing issue there. What I think is of more importance electorally and ethically is that there is a huge growing expectation that we are now rolling in money and that everybody is entitled to a huge raise in everything. That isn't the case and therefore I think a lot of people are going to be very disappointed.
0: Now, another part of this, uh, Larry, which is just sort of tagged on to the story uh, is Enda Kenny, the mention of him during the week that he was going to go on and on and on. Uh, yeah. and, and I know that in the context of, of other leadership, potential leadership changes that are, that are afoot internationally, uh, Jeremy Corbyn potentially in the UK, which is the real shocker, uh, Donald mm-hmm. Trump who we'll talk about mm-hmm. in a short while, which is even more shocking, mm-hmm. that, that, that they were saying that, you know, who's to say Enda can't Go on. There's a picture of uh, um, Robert Mugabe in the, in the papers today. That he w- he's 91. He's still hanging in. Um, yeah. You know, it, it came up this week that the, the, the longevity of the term of the Taoiseach could go on and on.
2: Yeah. And I think uh, the, the Taoiseach, I think quite rightly, wasn't very happy that that uh, that that was discussed. I don't think he wants to be compared in the same breath uh, as Mr. Mugabe or anybody else. Uh, so it wasn't a particularly helpful comment, uh, I don't think. Um, getting back to the issue of the pensions, I think there's an objective case for increasing the old age pension. It's been a number of years. Since that happened, but at the same time, uh, it's also good politics. There's no question about it. Uh, old people, older people, do vote, and one of the things that I suppose makes it especially good politics is that it's not; it li- won't be subject, in my view, to the same extent of criticism of, oh, this is auction politics, et cetera, because I think the opposition will be a little bit loath uh, to kick uh, the government or to kick the Taoiseach for wanting to give older people uh, an extra five or a week. Mm. So it's very sound yeah. p- politically as well. Yes,
0: there's nothing any opposition. Can say about that. Nothing nothing at all. Uh, Could I I just turn to another uh, political intervention, and that's on the front of the Sunday Times? Uh, Terry, Frank Flannery, who will be well known to you, and uh, uh, former spin doctor. One never knows what a former spin doctor actually is because they always (laughs) seem to be uh, uh, current, not former. Um, Flannery says uh, on the subject of doll privilege that it tramples on people's rights. He's the first person. To come out on this side of the argument, which has obviously been very current this week, Um, are people afraid to say something against the doll? Is that is you know I get the impression that people have been terrified to sort of stand up and and give out of it absolute privilege. But absolute privilege can be abused and abused very badly.
1: And it was abused by Mary Lou, a woman of great ability, uh, who named a whole load of people as having Cayman Island accounts and stuff like that. Now. All of the people that she named fortunately were prominent, prominent enough that they were able to get almost equal time for their proven contradiction of what she had said. The dole Committee on privileges then investigated the issue and found her in the wrong. Well show me how she suffered in any way. Mm. That's the first thing. Frank Flannery, I do like your thing of old spin doctors never die, they just hang around. (laughs) Um, uh, Frank Flannery is making a legitimate point and it's a point that only a Frank Flannery could make because of the intervention of Dennis O'Brien. Because once Dennis O'Brien goes to law on anything, there is an assumption that because the media view of Dennis O'Brien is that he is the embodiment of evil, that Mm -hmm. therefore what he is doing is evil. In this instance, I would suggest that Dennis O'Brien, and I I think there's one columnist in today's newspaper, he or she will uh, forgive me for not remembering who it is, uh, did raise the issue that the law is there for citizens to use. It doesn't matter whether a citizen is rich and powerful or poor and humble. If they believe that something is being done in a bad, unethical way, then the law is there for them to challenge it. And therefore, it doesn't matter that it's Dennis O'Brien or perhaps it's good that it's Dennis O'Brien in that he has the money to go as far as it takes to, it may well be, change the law. But it may be prove the law and finish any debate about it.
0: Which also brings into, in, into context, I suppose, and, and, and shines a spotlight on the sort of language that was being used this week. And not, not to be an apologist for anyone, including Dennis O'Brien in this respect, to, to be, to, for someone to get up and say, would you go to Dennis O'Brien, politicians, and tell him to back off? Now, who has any right to say that? Because we are entitled as citizens, I would have thought, to challenge anything. Uh, in law we could be wrong of course we could be totally wrong but for the the doll to think they're above the law in that respect stinks a little bit
1: well I just think that it will probably be good for the legislature whether it will be good or bad for Dennis O 'Brien is a separate issue, but his challenge will probably be useful.
0: yes, and we must always cover this with a health warning by saying that Dennis O 'Brien, of course, is the owner of this radio station but I, I, ju-
2: I just want to ma- make a separate point on this, uh, and again the, the legal issues here I think are interesting, and I see a, a number of my colleagues in the in legal academia commenting here about uh, what may happen in the merit of this particular piece of litigation, but I think the broader point here is that we talk about privilege and we're talking about abuse of privilege and I think one of the things that really it it, it it is a privilege to hold office and to represent people is a privilege and with privilege in my view comes responsibility and that responsibility is not to use that privilege as a cloak to make any kind of comment that you want uh, and I think that that's vitally important that we expect uh, I think we have a right to expect from our legislators that they'll behave and that they'll act in accordance with uh, what we would like them to do, what we send them to, what we elect them to office to do. So I think that anyone any politician, regardless of saying, oh, am I covered by privilege? Can I say this? They should have a broader discussion with themselves and say, is this worth my saying? Is this a worthwhile thing to say? Is there merit to it? That's what I think we should have a right to expect from our legislators.
0: Yes, of course, and there is a great great difference between what one would perceive to be in the public interest and in your own political
1: interest, and of that course. will come up. But oh. there is another issue as well, which is that of necessity, opposition and independent TDs are more likely to have whistleblowers go to them, And the rights, um, as Larry was saying, of the public, the rights of public representatives do have to be balanced against the need for whistleblowers to expose the corrupt Mm. if it turns out to be corrupt.
0: Uh, on the subject of law making uh, and, and those who make it Shane Ross has an interesting article in today's Sunday Independent on the appointment of judges. Uh, Larry the, the, he's saying here look there is a transparent apparently system uh, called the JAAB this is the Judicial Appointments Advisory Board. It, it effectively interviews or selects or pre-selects a series of candidates for, for judgeships let's call them that or positions on the bench whatever bench that might be. It presents a list to the minister and it's up to the minister and the government to decide whichever way they want to look at it, um, who is appointed. So in actual fact, it's transparent to appoint, and then it becomes politicized. Yeah, I mean, it's it,
2: one of the things I, I could say is by way of comparison, uh, I think is in, in Ireland, maybe uh, judicial appointments are covertly political. In the United States, they're overtly political. Um, so I think uh, what I'd like to say is I think that the, the men and women we have on the bench currently, I think, are very, very capable and very well qualified. But at the same time, uh, I think it would be better if there was true transparency, if there was an independent body that exists in other some other jurisdictions um, that would appoint judges solely on the issue of merit and politics didn't come into it whatsoever and what decides merit in that respect in terms of mm, well, in
0: appointing a judge, what would dis- what would decide well, merit in and your a, view? Lot, a
2: lot of different things, I, I suppose: educational qualifications and background, professional experience, areas of expertise. Given the appointment that needs to be filled, uh, all of those things would go into the mix. Um, but at the same time, uh, again, in even these jurisdictions where there is an independent body, uh, I don't know how you ever remove politics from judicial appointments. It's a very very tricky thing to do. Uh, and even uh, systems where it's so called completely above board, uh, I just think politics is going to infiltrate at some stage. What I am glad though and what I would hate to see happen in Ireland uh, is the situation that happens in the United States where uh, the appointment of federal judges is extremely political, extremely politicized uh, and I have to hold my hands up. I'm a Democrat and and I have to say that my party is primarily responsible for starting that in the 1980s uh, with Robert Bork's uh, attempted appointment to the Supreme Court Mm. where you had somebody who was an extremely well-qualified judge who was really taken out
0: because of his uh, purported views on some issues. But but, that has Continued to be the case, and and there was uh, there was not the uh, uh, sexual harassment sh- situation for the Supreme Court. Uh, you have people who employ Mexicans as housekeepers. Mm-hmm. All of these things have knocked knocked people off the bench. But by the way, it's happened in this country as well for other scandals, and people have disappeared off the bench. But what it was interesting, which Shane Ross said today, is that it only takes a simple majority vote in the Doll to bring a government down. It needs a vote of both houses of the Oireachtas to remove a judge the first has happened plenty of times the second has actually but, never but happened I, I, but I think that I, can, I, I
2: absolutely would, would uh, support the reasoning behind that that is that if a judge makes an unpopular decision uh, he or she shouldn't be subject to recall it's vitally important to have an independent judiciary uh, in a representative democracy so judges in need that extra protection to be able to rule
0: on cases and to rule fairly and impartially I think in these situations that have happened the judges have become quite politicized and actually have taken the smart move and faded away before it moved on to a position where they might have been censured, I think that's what has ha- has sort of happened in the past. In, in terms of the American experience, I mean, because it becomes so politicized, does this mean that these people are in advance of their of their? Um, uh, accession to the throne of the bench, if you like, be, becoming highly politicized themselves? Well, they uh, not
2: necessarily. I mean, I think everybody is a little bit political, but um, you know, they, they do have their own views, and w- what does happen is that uh, you, you look at some, for the United States Supreme Court, for instance, I mean, the minute somebody's name is floated as a potential nominee, you have scores of legislative aides on Capitol Hill researching everything they did from the time they were five years of age till the time that, to, to the present, uh, so there's no stone is left unturned, so you will know every they've ever done. Uh, I'd hate to see
0: things get to that, s- that kind of state of affairs here, and I don't think that they will. Okay, you're listening to The Sunday Show on uh, News Talk, and I'm joined in studio by Terry Prone uh, from the Irish Examiner, and of course noted non-fade-away spin doctor of note, <laughs> <laughs> and I chairman of the Communications Clinic, <laughs> <laughs> Larry Donnelly, uh, the law lecturer at NUI go Galway. You can text us 53106, uh, they cost 30 cents. Just some of your early texts. That's nonsense, Terry, says one of our texters. Emigration, a lifestyle choice, exclamation mark. As a recent graduate, that is not my experience, nor that of any of my fellow graduates, uh, somebody else saying the law isn't available to the little guy. Uh, I'm surprised at Terry said, Gee, Terry, I mean, you're just <laughs> arriving late you've caused all <laughs> sorts of hazards. I've just been to Dunleary to see the Ironman. Two and a half thousand athletes, both male and female, over a thousand visitors. Great for the economy. Plenty of notice in the media about the diversions. I don't think you said anything bad about it. I think you said it was fantastic.
1: I, I know, I said it should be discontinued. I, just, I said you should have run <laughs> in this <what laughs> yeah. said, Alright, can
0: we move on to another story? And that is um, uh, Ted Heath. Now this, this isn't really, I suppose, uh, an Irish story. There is a certain Irish element to it, but this has dominated the British press for the last couple of weeks and the British News. Uh, the story that some constabularies uh, failed to investigate uh, Ted Heath and alleged uh, sexual abuse um, activities. Uh, there's a big, big article in his defence by Ruth Lundy Edwards mm. in the Sunday Independent today, saying that Ted Heath was just an asexual guy. He didn't fancy men. He didn't fancy women.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's the point she makes very strongly, uh, and I suppose it's not it, it's distressing to hear this. I'm sure for Ted Heath's family uh, and friends, um, but uh, you know at the same time I th- it merits uh, it merits investigation. I think, um, but you know the broader issue here is you know it, when somebody is passed gone,
1: your reputation, it,
2: it, your reputation yeah. mm. really can. Mm. and I mean it is it's a, a fact of law that you can't defame the dead. Um,
0: whether that should be revisited or not is something people, the debates rage on. So should it be revisited? I mean that it it, it happens to be uh, a situation. That has lasted for as long as the law has lasted. It, you know, I don't know. I mean, in the case of people like Jimmy Savile and Gary Glitter, well, he's not dead, of course. But in Jimmy Savile and and all of these sort of sexual abuse things, you know, revisiting them has. Actually, I think sort of opened a lot of doors. Maybe nasty, maybe not. Yeah. Um, but in the case of somebody who isn't around to defend themselves, it's a different story, obviously. It,
2: it is. It's very difficult. And I think we, we had an example in this country with Liam Lawler several years ago, um, when some some things were uh, allegations were made uh, after he had passed away about the circumstances in in which he died. Which again, it's very very hard for family and friends to stomach those sorts of things. Uh, I have mixed I have mixed feelings about uh, whether we should revisit the law on defamation. Uh, I'm just not sure, uh, how, you know, how, how broad do we throw the door open then in that instance? So um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm vacillating on that one, to be perfectly frank. Terry?
1: I do believe that there is a, a kind of an ombudsman role that needs to be fulfilled uh, because it isn't enough for Ruth D- Dudley Edwards to say, as she says in her final line, that he's innocent. He's innocent until proven guilty. And the constabulary in various British jurisdictions will do their level best now mm. to find him guilty and you will have a lot of people uh, who met him and who believe in some some way that they were abused by him coming forward to give highly emotive evidence there will be nothing on the other side, there will be nobody uh, defending the dead man's reputation and I have never understood why it is possible that you cannot defame the dead I think that the dead have, has a, have reputations, they have achievements, they have people who care about them, and that there is a case for looking at, not, not for seeking to be confrontational with people who may have suffered at the hands of somebody like this but to achieve that balanced thing called justice.
0: Well, is this just a salacious, media-driven witch hunt, then? Because you, then you look at things like documentaries, particularly, Channel 4 have been big on these things in the past, the real somebody or other, long after they're dead. You know, we expose, and usually n- not very much, quite frankly, but it, there are always these revisionist programs, um, and they serve to drive ratings. They don't serve any other purpose, really.
1: It's, it's going to be very difficult for any man who stayed single all his life, as Ted Heath did, because um, Ruth Dudley Edwards' point that he's just asexual is almost unimaginable at this time in this country. We don't believe that there is anybody who's asexual. They're at something, Mm. and Mm. we therefore believe that he was at something bad.
0: It is extraordinary, isn't it? Because if you are a male of a certain age and you haven't been married... Uh, other people, other males in particular, look at you with a, a, a jaundiced eye. It
1: is an unspoken version of the prejudice that applies to women, which is A, why are you not married? And B, if you are married, why have you not had a child?
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Well, that's clarified that issue. All right. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more in a moment. Uh, I've been joined by uh, by Terry Prone and also by Larry Donnelly in studio on the Sunday show. Stay with us, more to come. There you go, that's uh, Donald Trump in the political debate, the Republican debate on uh, Thursday night. Uh, Larry Donnelly, extraordinary thing to say, uh, no matter who you are or what you're running for, um, but this seems to have been the, the, the tenor of his campaign so far. The more, the more wacky he gets, the more they seem to like him.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, for me, he's really hit a new low. He's really he, he's he's a revolting human being, to be perfectly frank with you. That's the only way Get I can off say. The fence, it. And you then, and then, you know, <laughs> d- 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 one <laughs> of the things that's been covered extensively in the American media, I'm not sure if it's penetrated here as much, is that after that he was interviewed and he he implied that the questioner had gone after him because she was having her period. Yeah, I heard um, that. You yet. know, so uh, you know, what what do you say or what can you say about a guy like that? Um, but to return to the politics of it, I think um, he's he's you know he's clearly ahead in the polls has been ahead. Uh, I said before before that fury erupted, uh, I said that he inflicted damage on himself tonight of the Republican debate with ordinary Republican voters because of some of the things that he said. Uh, for instance, not being a loyal Republican, saying he might he might run as a third party uh, for his past support for rightly being questioned uh, on his past support for uh, abortion and for uh, single payer health care, two issues that are anathema to rank and file Republicans. Then, when you put those hits that he took, when you compound that with what he said about Megyn Kelly, what he said uh, when he was confronted with those remarks, he's going to have a very serious problem with women voters now. Uh, he, those remarks will not go away and even conservative women, uh, even ordinary Republican women uh, are
0: going to have a huge issue with those. Mm. I, I think what is extraordinary is that uh, you know, the further you get away from New York on the East Coast and Los Angeles and the West Coast uh, is where he seems to have this crazy resonance um, with not, and Middle America to me is innately conservative, I Mm -hmm. might add, but there seems to have been a rejection in Middle America, in some parts of Middle America, I should say, uh, of you know this over over the top political correctness you know where you run a campaign and you must be sound on abortion on gay rights, you must be sound on the economy and you know you can 't be everything to everybody
2: well yeah, I mean th- you know that that's that 's true, but th- this is what i 'll say if you, you know you talk about the those views and the the uh, political correctness, I mean all of the Republican candidates including mr trump uh, aren't sound on those issues, mm-hmm. given the, the mainstream view. But Mr. Trump uh, takes it to an, another level altogether. Uh, now, of course, what his campaign has been built on is capitalizing on people's anger and people's fear, because they, they for a lot of good reasons, uh, Americans are afraid about the future. They're afraid that the American dream is dead, and they're tired of seeing their kids go off to fight wars and come back in body bags or without arms and legs. So he's played into that uh, that under, quite understandable, in many cases, anger and fear that exists in the electorate. Um, but I, I tend to think, and here, here I go making a prediction I might get proven wrong about, uh, I tend to think that Mr. Trump uh, has hit his high point. Uh, I, th- I think that the Trump phenomenon uh, will slowly die. But what I will say is this. Trump has enough money that he can, he can stay around and be a factor for a long time. And the second thing, and this is the most crucial part, both parties are well behind the sentiment I just talked about uh, in middle America. Both parties are still talking with, in very optimistic and, in my view, unrealistic tone about America and where we're at in 20 15. Uh, I think that the American people are in a very, very different place. So I've said for a long time that if that could ever coale- coalesce, that sentiment that exists in middle America, if they found the appropriate messenger then they would be a serious political force and they would exploit the fact that both parties, again, which are enthralled to very powerful interest groups and moneyed interests in the United States, that both parties are out of step with that with that segment of All middle right. America. T-
0: Terry, let's just look at this from a uh, political advice perspective. Um, it appears that uh, Donald Trump... Lives to nobody, and I mean, we we know about uh, you know the the, the cosseted politician. I think Enda Kenny is a very good example of what has happened here in, over the last few years uh, in terms of making him into the sort of Taoiseach that he is. He certainly was well well managed, um, and then we have had spin doctors and and advisers becoming bigger than the person they're advising themselves. Trump seems to be accountable to nobody, and he seems to listen to nobody. He just fires off on all cylinders in every direction, and. Does he have any advice at all?
1: Uh, It doesn't matter whether he does or not, because he has had reinforcement for more than 20 years from his own business success, which is largely, it seems to me, based on bullying and survival, and on reality television appearances, which we don't even need to go into. um, Where he was permitted to say things, going back to the issue of women, to women contestants that he would be off the programme tomorrow if it happened in this country. I mean, he talked about wanting to see one woman on her knees. Um, He has been reinforced into an illusion of impregnability. And that's always very dangerous. I think that Larry is absolutely right that he has peaked. Uh, the the crassness the crudity uh, of the even the the reaction about rosie o'donnell that was so not funny it was just distasteful and even americans in wife beater vests uh, wouldn't really uh, think that that was what they expect of a president but then americans um, have always had this there's always this backlash against the predictable, the predictable two parties. Uh, A few years ago, we had Ross Perot pipsqueaking away. Now we have um, this man shouting and roaring and being profane and suggesting that a woman asked him a legitimate question because she must have been menstruating. I just can't see that the resentment against the status quo can be stimulated by that kind of behavior into a worthwhile movement. Mm. I just don't see it happening. By the way, I was fascinated on this thing of having political correctness. I was fascinated to watch Jeb Bush on the issue of abortion. Saying that his state was pro life. It was largely pro life because he. And it was a faith driven issue. He had pushed through legislation related to uh, being pro life. I was watching and thinking, gosh. I cannot think of any politician in Ireland who would feel safe to say that. Mm. That at this stage, the pendulum has swung so totally the other way that you take your political life in your hands if you say you are pro-life.
0: That said, on the front of the Sunday Times, there is a, uh, uh, well, it's an unsophisticated poll, let's call it that. It's a telephone poll of Mm. Fine Gael politicians and Fianna Fáil politicians on the subject of abortion. Um, They say, and the headline screams, Fine Gael up! for abortion. Very trendy headline. Uh, the majority of TDs want to vote after the election. The majority of Fine Gael TDs, who responded to a survey carried out by the Sunday Times, want a referendum to widen access to abortion. On the other side of the House, of 21 TDs, Fianna Fáil TDs, 13 responded to the poll, all uh, of whom 8 of the 13 said they didn't want any further liberalisation of abortion. Mm. Law. So, you know, people run a, a country mile from this subject anyway. This and,
1: and it has been traditional that politicians of virtually all parties except on the left, have evaded, avoided and run away from the issue, not from, as is popularly believed to be just cowardice, but from a realisation that the two primary stances on abortion, as a woman, this is my basic human right, I have rights over my own body. That's one stance. The other stance that says the fetus has equal rights. No matter what compromises you come to, those two cannot be brought together. And so young politicians always believe that it's time to close down this issue. Whenever we get an opportunity, whether through a referendum or proposed legislation, it is never a closure experience.
0: All right, so more of your texts, uh, 53106 is our text line. Uh, on Morrissey from the Smiths, he says he's asexual as a texter and he's always taken flack for it because people can't believe it. Is he asexual or is he just, I don't know what he is or he just never commented on his sex, I thought. Um, Ted Heath, no Irish interest, question mark. He oversaw Bloody Sunday and the cover-up afterwards, Ridgery Tribune and so on, says somebody else. And, uh, oh, you love this. Uh, Trump is a breath of fresh air in an era of stifling political correctness. It's great to see someone so unapologetic and telling it like it is. We challenge
1: the term political correctness. Political correctness is now the refuge, the last refuge of the most crude right-wing people who do not have any respect for anybody, Whether it is, and particularly not somebody in a minority. They have no respect for women. They have no respect for black people. They have no respect for minorities. They have no respect for anybody who doesn't agree with them. And if they are caught out saying that in particularly offensive terms... They tried to take refuge in an allegation that the world has become too politically correct. No, it hasn't. bit more respectful is all it has become. All right. I'm glad we've clarified
0: that. Larry, (laughs) just who is going to to, um, uh, end up at the top of the heap when it comes to the Republicans? Just very quickly, uh, because really, (sighs) Jeb Bush is positioning himself, obviously. uh, As you say, um, Trump looks like he could ultimately just explode and uh, that'll be the end of him or implode, whichever. Uh, What does that leave there? I'm still not sold that Jeb Bush is going to be the nominee at the
2: end of the day. Uh, I thought in the debate the other night uh, he did as best as he could, which means he was mediocre. Uh, I tend to think that the, uh, the another Republican could come forward. Uh, the guy whose name I should be, get, I should be on his payroll uh, that I keep mentioning uh, is John Kasich, the governor of Ohio. If the Republicans have any brains, and I'm not sure that they do, uh, if they do, he will be the nominee because mm. he, is, he would be a formidable challenger to Hillary and Clinton. It's
0: a monster state as well.
2: It's a monster yeah. state. He is, he's from ordinary working class roots. He polls very well with women, with African Americans. Uh, he, again, he's from Ohio, but he has a, a wealth of experience in Congress, uh, in, in media, uh, as the chief executive of, of Ohio. Uh, I, 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 he's, he's still behind. I mean, he's, he's second in New Hampshire. He's moving up. If he can raise enough money, if he can continue to raise money, I expect him to be there in the final shakeout. But again, uh, I do have to cover that by saying, um, you know, I'm not sold on Bush, but with all of the advantages that he has, he could be the nominee.
1: Can I just draw everybody's attention to what Larry is not saying? Uh, Because he's too politically correct. (laughs) No, he's too respectful. (laughs) Um, As a card-carrying Democrat, I suspect that what Larry wants is that Trump will not implode, but that he will go independent as a third-party candidate, which will make absolute out of the Republican mm. offering and see the Democrat candidate uh, fly home. I think
0: that's I think that's every Democrat's yeah, uh, dream. Right, you didn't have to <laughs> say it. You didn't have to say it for yourself. Back to uh, the more mundane. Just a, um, a, an interesting article in the Sunday Independent on Irish Rail or Irish Rail services, and this was discussed during the week or mentioned that there would uh, there might be a potential that we could. Um, You know, uh, sell off the rail network. Now, this was done in the UK to, I guess, mixed success. And now both Andy Burnham and uh, Jeremy Corbyn, running for the Labour leadership in Britain, are both saying that they would re nationalise. The rail network in that country, um, Colum Kenny says selling off our rail service is no guarantee of success who 'd buy it in the first instance
1: <laughs> Somebody with a lot of money and a lot of vision because rail is the way to go for the future, but you have to have bottomless bottomless pockets and we 've sold off the lottery now, the next thing to do is sell off the railways it isn 't just that the selling off of the railways wasn 't a wild success in Britain. It was a disaster, we had a whole load of separate operators, the points of linkage didn't work, there were safety issues, there were customer care issues. It was god-awful. It is now beginning to recover. And yet, as you say, both political leaders are saying, do you know something, if we could, we'd bring it back into the national Mm. fold.
0: I think people want to get uh, the train from A to B with no big problem. Um, But in this country, I mean, lest we forget, this whole system has been subsidized for, you know, since God was a boy, Um, the rail network. So why would anyone take it on and try to privatize it?
1: It would be difficult. But if the state is going to continue to uh, subsidize it, then the state really needs, although there's no way that certainly this government, but possibly uh, a later government could go to the public and say, look, we really, really, really need to build rail lines to all sorts of places in the country where there aren't any at the moment. Um, I don't see it happening in the short term. And remember that whenever we have tried to economize on the railway lines, like the closing of the, was it the Dun the Harcourt, the Harcourt Street. Harcourt, yeah. well, that's 1960-something. Right. Right.
0: I mean, it's it, a long, long time ago. But
1: it was a disgraceful, unvisionary, uh, so made by a man who had... A total competence with the present. That's right. right. Yes. And no notion of the future because our offices at one stage were in the old railway station um, in Buterstown or wherever. And uh, my boss, Bunny Carr, encountered Todd Andrews and said something critical about having closed down the Harcourt Street line. Now, Andrews was practically on his deathbed at that stage and he was livid with Bunny for the very suggestion. It was a brilliant uh, Idea to close it down. Of course, it reemerges no, no.
0: the Lewis anyway. Yes, uh, you know they use the but same it land.
1: Didn't have to be such an obstacle for so long.
0: Okay, I just want to do one final thing, and that is talk about the business of sport. Uh, there's a very interesting article in the Sunday Business Post today by Ewan McKenna. He says I'm no longer seduced by the myth of purity in professional sport. I see it differently now. He says he's going to uh, the Olympics uh, next year in Rio, and it's going to be his first Olympics. And he's underwhelmed by the whole experience because, as far as he's Now it looks like it's a level playing pitch Because everybody's on the dope Yeah, it's a pretty sad state of
2: affairs. I mean, I can't say I can't say I disagree with any of the rather somber uh, observations he makes there. Uh, I think the key thing is I think that you know we we have illegal and now we have legal substances as well, Uh, and where where do you draw the line uh, between the two of them? But uh, you know, again, you know, for for the vast majority of us, especially uh, young boys and girls, sport is about fun. It's about enjoying it and everything else. Uh, And I hate to think that people are going to to such lengths, especially when it can have a a deleterious consequences for their health so many of them uh, die young uh, that they would do this I think it's sad
1: Mm. Larry's son is way too young to be playing rugby yet or soccer or GAA but I'm here to tell him that all this stuff about fun is a myth the sideline parenting Mm -hmm. is the most god awful terrifying brutal thing it makes politics look like a picnic
0: I love
1: it. it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I don't nothing know. better
0: than Saturday, having four boys. Nothing better than a Saturday morning going out watching them all beat each other to death. Get, <laughs> gets, gets it out of my kitchen, I can tell you. But the tragic thing, and I was in France the week before last and, uh, for the weekend of the Tour de France, and it was all about Froome, not whether he would win or not. It was how he was winning. That was the whole thing, and everybody complaining about uh, the fact that it was a cheat art. So they're saying, uh, you know, en français, they're saying that, and uh, no great surprise there. That's what it's all about.
1: It's all now about regulation, drug testing. How often are you drug tested? What does it prove? Was it that you used an asthma inhaler on the particular day? It's actually reducing sport to being even less interesting than I think it is in the first place.
0: Okay, if just finally, Larry, I, I just I didn't push you on something else uh, before oh. we finish the subject. <laughs> No, that is on the Democratic nomination. Just before we go, maybe the two of you would give uh, yeah, us a view on that.
2: Sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's very hard for me to see anybody other than Hillary Clinton being the nominee. Uh, she has weaknesses as a candidate. Terry and I were talking about it the other night. Um, she has some weaknesses, but at the same time, she has... A, a huge amount of money. She has endorsements from activists and politicians all around the country. Uh, and the big thing is, the two th- two big things. Number one is there's no Barack Obama waiting in the wings. Mm. And number two, her campaign team are not going to make the same mistakes that they made in 2008. Terry.
1: I'm uh, inclined to be slightly sceptical about this particular election because I have limited regard for Hillary Clinton, but I accept Larry's view that she is going to make it. Um, But then, on the other hand, last time around, I found Obama so inspiring as a candidate. I was in love with the Obama myth. He didn't turn out to be a great president.
0: No, you're uh, underwhelmed. Uh, Mm. But the awful spectre of a Bush versus a Clinton is the bit that frightens the living daylights Uh, out of me. Yeah,
2: absolutely. It frightens me, too, as an American. I think it's very bad for the perception of American democracy.
0: All right. Larry Donnelly, uh, law lecturer at NUI Galway, and uh, Terry Prone, the late Terry Prone. Well, she (laughs) arrived just in time. Columnist (laughs) for the Irish Examiner and chairman of the communications clinic. Thank you very much.